the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One of the most striking things about Christians today is an apparent laziness when it comes to knowing and living in the precepts of God as He has set before us. It's almost as if we're traveling through life half asleep, unaware of the impact we should be having on the world. Listen to today as Pastor Rander addresses this apparent lethargy. He'll be speaking from a number of scriptures, so get pen and paper ready as we begin. Jesus Christ said, We can hold to your hand because your hand is powerful, great. We love you, we bless you, we worship you. Help me now to preach in the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. We are in a, a, a short series. The theme scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. And it says... But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. And the series that we're currently in is entitled Victorious Living in Troubling Times. Victorious Living in Troubling Times. Beloved, life is too short and brief for any of us to be living in spiritual regression. Life is too short for our lives to be misdirected. Life is too short for us to be living in apathy and even boredom. The mere fact that you are in a brand new year is indicative of the reality that God is not through with you yet. And there is still much work for you and I to do for the Lord. Amen. Victorious living does not just happen. You don't just happen to live victoriously. You must possess self-discipline. You you must put in the time and effort to live the victorious Christian life. You also need to sit before the Lord and ask him what he would have you to do for him this year. And then actively pursue God's will and purpose for your life if you desire to live victoriously for Christ. With that being said, how do believers live the victorious Christian life? You need to write these down because I hope that all of us in this room desire to pursue victorious living. So how do believers live the victorious Christian life? Number one, to be victorious, you must commit to God 100% in all you do for him. You must commit to God 100% in all you do for him. In other words, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is all the way to death. 
when Paul penned these words, he was at the close of his life, the, the close of his life. And he spoke confidently, boldly. He's given God his best. It is amazing how many believers want God to answer their prayers. It's amazing how many believers want God to protect them, deliver them, and heal them when they are sick. And do incredible things through them. And yet many of those same saints do little or nothing for him. Where is your sacrificial commitment for the Lord? Whatever the Lord places in your heart to do, give your best effort and seek to be the best for the glory of God. If you're going to finish the race that our Lord has set before you. Half-hearted commitment does not glorify the Lord. He wants your best effort, not next year, not 15 years from now. That's not guaranteed anyway. Today, today, if the day God calls me to heaven, I want to die in peace knowing I have done my best for him. Number two, believers cannot excel and live victoriously until they possess a right spirit. Believers cannot excel and live victoriously until they possess a right spirit. Psalms 51.10 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Say right spirit. You cannot have a right spirit until your heart has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Many believers defeat themselves because their spirit is bad. You cannot live victoriously with a defiled spirit, a negative spirit. You cannot live victoriously with a self-righteous spirit. You cannot be just outright mean and be victorious. You cannot walk around with a spirit of entitlement as if people owe you and think you can live victoriously for Christ. You must ask the Lord to heal your spirit before he can do great things through you. A sign that you possess A right spirit is that you are humble. When you have a right spirit, you are selfless. When you possess the right spirit, you are loving. A right spirit is one who is joyful, one who is peaceful. When you have a right spirit, you are patient with others, even those who are difficult. When you have a right spirit, you're kind You're faithful, you're gentle, and you possess self-control and pure motives before the Lord. You cannot be a victorious saint if your motives are not right, if you have ill motives. Daniel chapter 6 verse 3 says... Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Underline that. Because of a, because an excellent spirit was in him. That's the kind of spirit we want. And de- God used Daniel. Uh, Daniel had a walk with God, a love for God. He trusted God. Even in the lion's den, his faith did not fail. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Beloved, like Daniel, when you possess an excellent spirit, God will elevate 
and give you greater opportunities when your spirit is right before the Lord. Don't expect God to elevate you if your spirit is not right. Uh, don't expect divine favor from God if your spirit is not right. Uh, what kind of spirit do you actually possess? If you do not possess a right spirit, then ask the Lord to transform your spirit so that he can elevate you to greatness and do extraordinary things through you. Be mindful, you impede the work of God in your life when your spirit is not right before the Lord. Uh, thirdly, you, you cannot live victoriously until you cry out to God and ask him to give you renewed passion renewed zeal and renewed enthusiasm. If you want to be victorious, if you don't want to just be a mediocre saint, just barely get by saint, then you need, you need to ask the Lord, cry out to him and ask him to, Lord, you brought me into this year not to do less but to do more. Will you please in the name of Jesus? That's a good thing to put on your prayer list for fasting and prayer. Uh, 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 a renewed passion. Some folk are doing little to nothing for God. They just warm up you, crank the cup, go back home, and do nothing with the truth they receive. During your fasting and prayer time, ask God to give you a renewed zeal, renewed enthusiasm. A sure sign you are where God wants you to be is that you are just as excited about what you do for Christ as when you first started. Now, that's big. A sure sign you are where God wants you to be is that you are just as excited about what you do for Christ now as you were when you first started. Now, some people, they make New Year's resolutions and all of these things. And uh, by March, they forgot what they said. You know, where's your passion? I'm just as excited about preaching the word of God now as when I started preaching way back there in 1979. That's a oodles of years ago, a long time ago. I love what I do. I love people. I love the Lord's church. You know, I'm not a clock watcher. I work and I, then I go home to work. You need to do your rest. Yeah, I do a rest. I can use more rest. That's on my fasting sheet that God would help me to rest more. So that I could be more productive. That's that rest is just as vital. You know, he wants us to work, but he wants us to rest. And so that's one of the things on my sheet that I'm that I'm dealing with. So I don't mind conveying that to you. And so but some people, they start out hot for God to get saved. They get running and they're evangelistic and they love the work. And always somewhere along the way, they just start gradually regressing. And start sliding backwards and all of a sudden they just kind of moseying along in la la land. God wants you hot. God wants you enthusiastic. God wants you on passion. Listen, the days are too evil for us to be slowing down. The closer we get to heaven, the, the, the more energy, the more enthusiasm we ought to have for Christ. I want to die on fire for God. I want to die burning with zeal for God. I said, God, help me to do more. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, that spiritual fire serving the Lord. God does not use saints who are content living in mediocrity. 
God does not use saints who are content living in mediocrity. Be mindful. Uh, you cannot put motivation in people. God has to do that. I can't take my motivation and say, I'm going to put my motivation in him so he can do better. He come to church on Mother's Day, Christmas and Easter. You know, so I'm going to put a big dose of I can't put motive. I can't even put motivation in my children. And that's right. You can't do that. You, you pray for them and you trust them and you can tell them and be loving and kind and direct them. But at the end of the day, God has to do that. God has to do that. Number four, living victoriously means that you must use your influence to bless and encourage others rather than using it for selfish and destructive purposes. Living victoriously means that you must use your influence to bless and encourage others rather than using it for selfish and destructive purposes. All of us have influence. We're either using it for destructive means or we use it to glorify God and to honor him. What are you doing with your God-given influence? You say, I don't have influence. Yes, you do. If you have children, you have influence. You have influence over your, over your husband, wife. You have influence on your jobs. You have influence with your peers, your friends. Yes, you are. We're people of influence. Uh, are you using your influence to glorify God? Or are you using it for destructive purposes? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Beloved, we all have influence over people. We influence our children and those we supervise. We have influence as teachers, preachers, and ministry leaders. We can also have influence over our peers where we influence them. Listen, we influence our peers even when we do not have a position of leadership over them or have been empowered by a title, but yet we are influencers. Beloved, you are either a good influence or a bad influence, but the real question is, how are you using the influence God has given you? Since we all have influence, we should use it to encourage others, to bless others without promoting ourselves. Be mindful, if you possess ill motives, then your actions will reveal the kind of influence you, you possess. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Number five, refuse, if you're going to be victorious, refuse to be fickle, refuse to be erratic, and refuse to be unstable. You can't be victorious if you're all over the place. Okay, refuse to be fickle, erratic, and unstable, but rather be determined and resolved to be steadfast and unwavering, even in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of competing voices and deception. You, you just don't jump and move. Some folk jump from church to church. Some folk go from place to place. They move from city to city. They, they can't stay anywhere. They're just all, all over the place. They're in Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma. The next day, they're, they're at UTSA, and they're professional students because they can't be still. Ten years still trying to graduate. Ten years without a bachelor's degree. And, you know, you take as long as you want to graduate. They love it. They're getting your money. 
<laughs> Getting your money as long as you're paying. And, you know, they say, well, keep on. Just be slow. Just be lazy. Just don't do your homework. But please, you're going to keep giving us the money, man. <laughs> so you've you got to have a sense of stability. Stability means you've got to have your own mind. You just can't jump when everybody say jump. Go when everybody say go. Have a sense of stability. Sense of stability. Uh, you just got some time to get hard on a job or where you are. Then you jump to this and I don't like this and I don't like the boss. I don't like the co-worker over here. I don't like the. Listen, you go just be miserable. You no seniority, no benefits, no family suffer because you can't hold a job because it's you. It's you. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, "Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm." Ooh, these are times we need to stand firm. And be like a, a tree, like the rivers of water, and not be moved. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the Lord's work. Always give yourself what? Fully to the Lord's, to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What you do for Christ uh, have eternal lasting value. So many people are fickle and erratic because their minds are unsettled and unstable. You must ask the Lord to fix your mind on him because he will give you direction. Fix your mind on him because he will give you purpose. Fix your mind on Christ because he will give you spiritual insight as to what he wants you to do with your life. Only when you can be courageous and press on Toward your destiny to the glory of God, you will be victorious. If you do not remain faithful to the vision God has placed in your heart, you will not experience victorious living. Number six, you cannot live the victorious Christian life without confrontation. Say confrontation. Now, so I know many of us don't like confrontation, but sooner or later, how many of you had confrontation? Let me see your hand. You, and some of you, 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 you probably lied if you haven't. I had you, some of you had confrontations with your baby. Even babies want to run away and, and say no. And that's a confrontation. You even, sometimes they go tell, no, no. And you say, what you say? That's not cute. And sometimes they want to hit you. Don't you let a child hit you and you get away. Wait a minute. You hit me? I'm going to show you what I can do. Confrontations are inevitable, even in child rearing. You cannot live the victorious Christian life without confrontation. Moses had confrontation as he stood before Pharaoh. Nine times Moses went to the Egyptian Pharaoh to demand freedom for the Israelites in captivity, saying, let my people go. And each time Moses and his brother Aaron were sent away. These are old senior citizens standing before Pharaoh who represents the government, telling them in the name of God what God told them to do in their old age. You're not too old to be used by God. Exodus chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says, afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord Pharaoh, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, 
who is, look, he's sarcastically on his high throne. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Yeah, he said he said that right. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Confrontation. Let's transition. Even Jesus to the New Testament. Even Jesus had confrontation from those who opposed, despised, and attempted to ensnare him. Even Jesus had confrontation from those who opposed, despised, and attempted to ensnare him. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verses 20 through 26, it says, Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies. You see, there's no good spies. Pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something they could be, that they could report to the Roman governor so he would arrest Jesus. Huh. But look what happened. Look what happens. He says, teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right. Look at this, buttering him up. What is, and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully. A bunch of hypocrites. Now tell us, Jesus, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their trickery and said, show me a Roman coin. They showed him whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said, well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him by what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answers and they remained silent. They couldn't mess with him. And he spoke in such a way they couldn't touch him. Here's another analogy. You're hanging on. The gospel of John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. Gospel of John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11 gives us another illustration of, of Jesus facing confrontation. The scripture says in John 8, 3 through 11, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, here they go again. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses command us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Verse six, this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, they would just continue to ask him. He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse eight. I like this. And after he made that statement, look up, look, verse eight. And once more, Jesus bent down. This is the second time and began to write on the ground. Now, the scripture doesn't say what Jesus wrote on the ground. But perhaps, 
Perhaps, now perhaps, using my sanctified imagination, perhaps, say perhaps. It's not written. I'm just using this as a Draper version right here. I'm just sanctified imagination. Perhaps Jesus was writing the sins of the accusers on the ground of all, for all to see. Perhaps he was writing down there, liar. Perhaps he was writing down there, adultery. Perhaps he was writing down there, stealing. Perhaps he was writing down there, abuser. Perhaps he was writing down pride. Perhaps he was writing down there, illegitimate divorce. If he, if, if he were here today, perhaps he would be writing down extramarital affairs, pornography. Maybe if he was writing on the ground today, he'd be writing down gambling. Maybe he would be writing down backbiting. Should I keep calling? I wonder what he wrote on the ground. The scripture didn't say, and where the the scripture is silent, we ought to be silent. But I believe, I just believe, perhaps he wrote some stuff on that ground that made them all walk away. (laughs) He wrote, he wrote once and then he went down and wrote again. What was he writing? We don't know. But just maybe. He was right that maybe they got so convicted that they couldn't do nothing but drop their stone and walk away. Stop being so quick to throw folk away and judge others. Even in this congregation today, even by radio and social media, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. Scripture tells us that in order to live according to God's plan for our lives, we must be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. It also tells us that we must forget our past and look toward those things that are ahead. In addition to the gift of a brand new year, God has given us the gifts of keeping the past where it belongs and looking to the present and the future, doing new things in him that shall spring forth. Isn't that good news? If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear more teachings by Pastor Rander, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church, located in Converse, Texas. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.